It is known for horses, college, basketball, and bourbon, but how about wine? Yup. We explore Indonesian cuisine at a cool restaurant in Hong Kong. And then we hit the Old South at the home of Scott and Zelda. And we have two stories to improve your golf game. The first is to fall in love on the links. The second is how to use your smartphone to become a better golfer. That's all next on Undercover Jet Set. Hi everyone, we take you to the old country today. Is Kentucky considered old country? Well, take a look at that ancient castle. It was built in the 21st century. But we're in Versailles. It's Versailles, and we're right outside of Lexington, Kentucky. Yes, Kentucky can fool you. Known for horses, bourbon, and Kentucky basketball, Lexington also has European charm hidden in full sight. The Post Castle, near Keeneland Racetrack, was first built as a mansion in 1969. Tom Post bought it in 2004, renovated it into a castle, had a horrible fire, and then rebuilt and expanded it. The outside is reminiscent of the Robin Hood days of the 1300s, where things were dark and dingy, and there were little windows, if, it, if they had windows at all at that time, because it was a defensive era, and there's no trees around the castle itself, because they used the trees when they built the castle, and they used the open area for means of protection from advancing troops or other adversaries. Inside, Post Castle resembles the palace at Versailles, with ceiling art, antiques from around the world, and solitude, thanks to the expansive property, the elevation, and thick walls. So it's very quiet here. And I say people come in on Sundays just to read the Sunday paper in peace and quiet and have a cup of tea or hot coffee and a Danish and sit in our library there. And Post Castle is set up for romantic weekends, family gatherings, weddings, company retreats, or as a base to see other hidden gems of Lexington. And there are vineyards here too. In fact, we visited one vineyard run by a fine fellow from the old country, Jean Ferry. That's Jean Ferris, a husband and wife team. Wife's name is Jean. That's where we get Jean from and Jean Ferris. And the husband's middle name, Ben, his middle name is Ferris. That's where we get Jean Ferris from. So there is no Jean Ferry. There is no Jean Ferry. We're in Kentucky, so it's still Jean Ferris. But Jeannie and Ben, the infamous Jean Ferris, have plenty of medals for their wine. Their Petite Syrah and this Cab Franc blew us away. Our particular Cab Franc is a very unique Cab Franc. Uh, just kind of out of um, stroke of luck, we got this very special grape uh, clipping of vines of Cab Franc. The clipping of vines we got for our Cab Franc is known as the King Vine, the King Grape, known as throughout the world as the best vine in the world. And our clippings of Cab Franc come from those vines. Historically, Kentucky vintners thrived until Prohibition. But since tobacco is no longer king and American tastes are changing, growing grapes in this climate, similar to northern France, is coming back in a big way. Ask Philippe de Simon. It's Philippe de Simon, a doctor by trade. He's been here 40 years, growing tobacco first and now grapes at the Grimes Mill Winery. His superb Malbec is grown in a unique Kentucky way. I may be the only Malbec that was made the way it was made in the United States. It's a Malbec Nouveau. It's never seen the inside of a barrel. 
this wine was produced in the tank and I poured it from the tank directly into the bottle. So this wine is unusual in that it has no tannins to it. It's a very fruity flavored wine. Some people think that I put sugar in it, but there's no sugar in it. It is also has a bit of effervescence to your tongue. And again, there's no gas in it. There's nothing that's in that that would make this effervescence. The effervescence disappears after the second or third sip. Equus Run Vineyard boasts a Derby Chardonnay and a Derby Merlot, both outstanding. Uh, Equus Run Vineyards has produced the official commemorative wines of the Kentucky Derby for nine consecutive years. And one of those wines is our Derby Merlot, which I like to describe as a wine with a great black cherry backbone, but it also has some very unique nuances. I liken it a little bit like uh, walking into a tobacco barn where you pick up some smoke, some tobacco, hay and alfalfa that wrap around that black cherry flavor. So you may come to Lexington for the bourbon and the horses. But you will be intrigued or fooled by Lexington's old world charm. Yeah. Are you sure you weren't drinking too much wine or nipping a little of that bourbon? You are a goofball there. I was, but I, I do get a little giddy in Lexington. Lexington's one of my favorite places to go. In fact, I, I played in a great celebrity golf event there for a couple of years, and uh, uh, in fact, you're you're going to see some stories from that in some upcoming episodes. So we're going to take you back to Lexington, and we're also going to go back and do the Bourbon Trail. That is one of Kentucky's biggest exports, and we'll take you to all the best places and show you where to go. But when we come back, we're going to take you to Asia, and you're going to try some cuisine of Indonesia. And welcome back and cheers. Didn't get a chance to do that earlier. We're gonna take you back to Hong Kong now. And as you know, Hong Kong is a mixture of many different nationalities and cuisines. And one of those cuisines is from Indonesia. So we are going to take you to this restaurant we found called 1968. It's amazing. And it's all about cuisine from the islands of spice, the Spice Islands. Hong Kong is like a melting pot. And we found one of the great restaurants called 1968. It's Indonesian food. Exactly what is Indonesian food? Well, you know, it's funny, and this was a great find, and Indonesian food is like this beautiful blend of exotic, intense flavors and different spices, you know, ginger, soy, coconut, garlic, things like that. And folks may know it as the Spice Islands because that's Indonesia. Now, this is one of the many chicken dishes that we had. It was, yes, and they're very heavy on meats, spices, obviously. This was a this was a great dish with pomelo fruit, and that's like a citrusy tangerine grapefruit blend. This was amazing. This was all vegetables, beautifully done, peppers. Look at the color of the eggplant. I mean, it was delicious. It was roasted onions and cucumbers and carrots all in one dish, and very, very lovely. This was a chicken curry. Oh, exactly. Yeah, chicken curry, not too spicy, very flavorful, very creamy from the coconut milk, very indicative of Indonesian cuisine. And we're going to see this Javanese chicken. And that's obviously from Java. Again, not too spicy. It was tangy and sweet. And the Java flavor profile is really known for its spiciness and sweetness. So this had a lot of garlic and really beautiful sweet soy kind of flavors in it. Oh, you loved this one. I did. Indonesian fried rice. 
Oh, yeah. It was delicious. And it's really the national dish of Indonesia is this fried rice. And they put an egg on the top. And I love them for this because we, we found out they put eggs on top of noodles and rice all the time when they serve it. And so you can't go wrong with an egg. You know how we feel about eggs. Um, and, and there again, they added the chicken satay, which is one of the things that probably most people know is satay. Here we see it again. And this was beef tenderloin satay, pork satay, and chicken satay. And each one was really nicely infused with different flavors. Then we had three dipping sauces with it, a kind of a peppery one, a tangy sweet one, and a citrusy one. Delicious. You loved this especially. I did. I love this next dish because you can describe it as gadu gadu. <laughs> and you have to say it with a British accent because that's how we learned it. But yeah, another traditional, you know, kind of street food done up with a gourmet twist here at 1968. And, and they do that so well. And it's potatoes, you know, eggs tossed together with this creamy peanut sauce and lettuce and beans and cucumbers. So it's this great blend of hot stuff and, and cool, sweet stuff bringing it together and, and you're going to see them toss it and it's just such a really wonderful dish and you know as we're saying it's it's Indonesia it really is the spice island so you think of any kind of spice in the world they've put it together brilliantly and 1968 does it so well. Would you say that it's it's kind of like a combination of Thai and Indian? Yeah well it, it was it's it's kind of they um, they did Indonesian food really authentic Indonesian food, which does have Thai influences. It's got influences from all over the place, to be honest. Um, India, China, Middle East, you, know, you name it. Uh, Spain, Portugal, Europe. I mean, there's there's influences from everywhere. The wine was fantastic. Oh, it was beautiful. The, the Haystack Chardonnay comes from a vineyard called Journey's End. And it's a coastal South African vineyard, and it really had beautiful notes. It's aged in French oak. It went so great with this food. But then again, you could also have a mojito or a beer. It would go great with this food as well. And to me, Indonesian food was a great surprise. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it, there really is something for everyone. I mean, you just think of all the spices in the land, perfectly put together in the right combination, and that's all the great flavors that you would get. I mean, this 1968 was really one of our favorite hangouts in Hong Kong. And that was some of the best food we had. It was actually really good the way you explained Indonesian food's combination of Thai and Indian food. Is, is that something that the everyday person can make at home? Oh, absolutely. You know, there's a couple of great places to go that I enjoy myself. Um, the recipes are very easy and great to follow. One of them is uh, foodtv.com and it'll take you to Food Network. That's all celebrity chefs there and just type in search uh, Indonesian food and you'll get some great stuff. I know Ina Garten's got some great stuff on there. She's the Barefoot Contessa. Also, food.com has some very easy recipes and I just discovered this new app it's called yumly and they have great recipes so you just again search Indonesian food in the search bar there and they'll bring up all stuff and you can store it right on the app so you don't have to print recipes out anymore you can save paper save trees go to the store shop everything's right there on the app so it's yumly and we'll put a, a URL up there for you to check it out the Google thing is amazing whatever they however they invented that so yeah, actually let's change that uh, name. <laughs> let's let's change locations actually let's go back to the United States and we're actually going to go to the deep south and we're going to visit the home of Scott and Zelda Fitzgerald 
Yes, we were in Montgomery, Alabama, and we happened to stumble across this Fitzgerald Museum, which we actually didn't know was there. Such a serendipitous find, and for people like us who love that kind of stuff, it was fantastic. So we are in Montgomery, Alabama, visiting Scott and Zelda, actually. This is the Fitzgerald Museum, and uh, this was, this was a fun trip. It really was, and we had about 30 minutes to run in before they closed, and they were very sweet to let us in. We really enjoyed it. It's a beautiful little house in a neighborhood of Montgomery. And this was the house where Scott and Zelda uh, lived uh, only for a short while, right after the 1930s. It's a little bit of a sad house, though, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it does have a sad energy, and I think it's because it was right around the time that Zelda was starting to get very sick mentally. And at the same time, too, it was the start of the Depression that we all went through. And they had just left Paris, so they were no longer in the roaring 20s of Paris. So. And they'd left all their friends there in Paris, uh, friends like Ernest Hemingway and people like that. And so they stayed here from uh, October 1931 to April 1932, really only about six months. Yeah, and one of the reasons they were there was because Zelda was actually born in that area. Her childhood homes are no longer in existence. So this was one that was used by the museum. And actually one of the interesting things was all of her artwork there, and you can kind of see it there. A lot of it's distorted, uh, you know, and again, this was a lot when her mental illness was coming on, but at the same time, too, she used it for therapy after Scott died. Yes, and it's very, very interesting artwork, and you can kind of see some of it here. Some of it actually was used for children's books, and that's what you're looking at right here. And it's also very colorful, even though it's distorted, so it's just kind of a, a portrait of her personality. Yeah, and this bowl here was commemorating uh, the uh, men who had died in World War One. but it's actually, it's a beautiful Absolutely beautiful bowl. Yeah, and she had a great idea to paint a bowl. You know, she painted a, a few other things, too, besides canvas. Uh, light shades being another thing. And, uh, and again, this is in a neighborhood, so it takes a little while to find it. But uh, at the same time, too, if you are a literary nut, you will definitely enjoy the Fitzgerald Museum. That home really was a treasure, especially for people like you and me who are Fitzgerald nuts. But it was, it was, it was kind of sad. It was like a glimpse of an era long ago, like boats beating against the current. Oh, very nice, very nice old sport. Thank you. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> well, next up, we're going to hit uh, some happier times with uh, Love on the Golf Course. Okay, so when you first told me about this idea of using your smartphone to improve your golf mm -hmm. game, I said, what a brilliant idea. I mean, we're so attached to our smartphones, we use them for everything. Why not to improve your golf game? Yeah, and actually, it's quite simple, and I began doing it when I saw my scores getting a little high, I realized some shots of mine weren't that crisp, and little did I know that uh, right in the palm of my hand, the iPhone actually helped my game. Uh Recently, you know, I've started using my phone for for lessons I give here at Brunswick Plantation. You know, I don't have the, you know, the equipment that most head professionals would have. I mean, high high end professionals, and you know, being able to look at somebody swing in a in a slow manner helps me to really show the golfer themselves what's going on. I mean, I I, I can see it right away. You know, which is my job, you know, to be able to <laughs> see that stuff. But being able to explain that to the individual is another thing. And if I can show them just that little twerk or tweak that they need to do, it, it makes a big difference, especially for a really good golfer. 
you know, I can I can help them, you know, in a snap of a finger just by them seeing one thing. So yes, it it is it's very helpful. You know, technology is wonderful. <laughs> well, t talk about what you did for me because I, I'm I was having a hard time. I just wasn't hitting the ball. I was really inconsistent. I was actually going left and right sometimes, low left, and then you know just spraying it up up in the air to the right. And I took some shots of myself and, and edited it all together. And you looked at it and you said, "Slow it down first. And then when when we slowed it down, you saw that my club head going back wasn't pointing up. Sure. Well, first thing I noticed is at the the three o'clock or, or nine o'clock area of your swing, the club face was shut. And, you know, and not to say that that's wrong, but, you know, if you have the ability to rotate correctly, like Zach Johnson, for instance, you know, mm -hmm. he, he plays with a shut cl club face, but he also rotates his lower body very, very strongly, you know, impact. But truthfully, what you really need, you know, to be more consistent, the club face has to be square at impact. So we meet, we need to be square more through the golf swing. So the longer the face is square, the more consistent we are, the better ball flight we have. And your swing just was a little bit closed at, you know, at a certain area. And when you got to the top, it was a little laid off and I noticed the face was shut. So all I did for John was, I said, well, just work on getting your thumbs up. Mm -hmm. You know, when you get back in, when you're coming up with your swing, get your thumbs up and John tells me this morning that it has worked, so that's wonderful. I'm glad I was able to help another yeah, another golfer. I started hitting the ball a little bit more consistently because I wasn't closing down the face, and so I could see that. Plus, it also got my my right hand cocked, which I need to do right away, and I completely forgot about that. So, so that was really really helpful. But one of the things you said to me was slow down the video, and you can use the slow motion. For instance, I'm on the iMovie. There is a slow motion on there, so I slowed it down, and once I slowed it down, that's when you noticed. It allows me to see frame by frame, mm -hmm. and you know, and you know, there's certain like a setup in the golf swing is important. You know where where you're standing, where the ball position is. But that first couple feet, as you take the club away, but when you get the club, you know, to this position, mm -hmm. that's so important. Okay. Get to there, you know, and you were a little shut. So, you know, being able to see frame by frame is very important okay. especially for you know a teacher so when when somebody is going to film themselves and and show it to you um you know warm up first uh once you're warm then turn the camera on and that what maybe about five to ten swings just to see up and the camera angle is most important mm -hmm. i need to see it from behind i need to see the camera from behind so i can see your positions of your swing you know that's where i see every position of the golf swing and, and I can help you there. I mean, of course, the, the straight on. Like the sideways. The sideways okay. would, would be good for front. me to yeah. see, you know. So ball, do both? Yeah, ball position. Well, that helps me with ball position and posture the other way. But, you know, the, the mechanics of the swing are going to be from behind. Okay. That's where I'm going to see most of it. All right. So should you put the camera directly in front of yourself so you can hit a shot and hit it right through the camera? Would you suggest that? No, I, don't. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. <laughs> Funny man here. All right. There you go, folks. There's some suggestions for you on uh, using the iPhone or your smartphone to make you a better golfer. And you're playing better because of that. I think for the time being, yeah. I think what it does is it shows you what you can't see that you're doing wrong. So it allows you to at least pick up on those things. And then if you can get to a pro or if you're somebody who's good enough to correct it yourself, you can do that. So, yeah. But at the same time, too, golf is a game that changes all the time. And 
you do stupid things and you don't know what you're doing them. So I'll be using the phone again. That's for and sure. the weather can affect it too. The weather, uh, anything, anything can affect it really. Wow, wow, very cool. Um, now, when we come back, a couple ties the knot and John crushes the wedding. love the game of golf but sometimes golf doesn't love you back and I guess it just takes a lot of time patience and practice as does a good marriage and uh, I met a couple on the golf course that actually tied the knot and I crashed the wedding um, the reception oh god yeah I gotta crash the wedding and crash the wedding I did Matt Jones and Candace Shepherdly tied the knot on the beach at Sunset Beach with family and friends so how did I wedge myself into their special day without ever knowing them? Well, it all started as usual on the golf course at Brunswick Plantation. We got paired with Sweet Swinging Candace, an LPGA professional, and Matt, a teaching pro in Corpus Christi, Texas. And Brunswick Plantation to them seemed like the perfect spot to make it all happen. Um, so we come from two different areas of the country. I'm from Birmingham, Alabama, and his family is from just outside of Philadelphia and so this was just a, a good meeting place and uh, you know a good good I guess vacation for us and for all their friends too and their newborn Jeffrey who was already to hit the ninth hole on the dogwood course which was a great backdrop for the wedding reception all put on by the staff at Brunswick Plantation there was plenty of music good cheer and some fine southern cuisine and it was absolutely perfect Awesome. Yeah, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. I uh, really lucked out with the weather down on the beach. Everything you expected to be? Yes, Absolutely. it works out. So, a lot of planning for today, but um, as I kept saying, it's all about the vowels, so it worked out perfectly. So. <laughs> How easy was it as far as working here with Brunswick Plantation? Uh, really pretty simple. Um, to basically just tell them what our idea was and uh, to come in and, and have the freedom to, yeah, to set up the way we wanted to was, was great. And then let me ask you this, you guys are golfers, yes. but you got married in one of the biggest sand traps in the area. <laughs> of course. Yeah, well that's where I spend most of the time anyway, so she, she, she decided to join me for yes. a change. Yeah, we love the beach. Well, I wish you the best and congratulations. Thanks for letting me be a part of it. Thank hey, you, very, thank you much. very much. So you will hear from them again, nice couple, and boy, they can both play. Now, are they competitive with each other? On the golf course, yeah, they are, and, and she's usually the one to win. Wow. Yeah. Well, good for her. Well, and you're going to start seeing her probably on the LPGA Tour. She's probably going to go back on tour. She's that good. Wow, that is awesome. Very, very cool. And looks like you enjoyed the wedding, too. Yes, it was a fun time. <laughs> Anytime you can crash a wedding, it's a fun time. <laughs> and we'll have more on wedding crashing and how to do it later in another episode. Definitely but will. for now, that is it for us, and we look forward to seeing you next time on Undercover Jet Setter. Don't forget, tweet us at UC Foodie TV, and we will love to get your pictures, your recipes, your drinks, everything golf, travel, food, wine related, and hashtag Undercover Jet Setter. See you okay. next time. And you gotta cheers again because it's bad luck when you cheers and you don't drink. <laughs>